Hey, Tara. Hey. And hey, everybody else. Welcome to Unpacked, a special series called Shoulder to Shoulder, brought to you by Kevin Castanero and Joel Fortier on inclusion and belonging in the context of the church. Right? Oh, boy. We have some <laughs> incredible conversations in store for people. Yeah. Um, what I loved about this whole series was in true fashion, it was about story. It was about listening to people's stories about how they engaged, um, not only within the context of the church, but outside of the church. How did they come to understand kind of a, a more truer version of themselves? And then how did they communicate that? True unpacked fashion, story, story, story. All about story and some messiness in there too. Yeah, it was. And you know what? Even we we caught ourselves telling our stories. Yeah, we did. You know, which was kind of kind of fun and uh, and exciting, honestly. Yeah, and we had a guest host with us. We did. Yeah, you know what? I so often conversations uh, about about inclusion, about the marginalized, or whatever within the context of institutions in particular, often happen without those folks present. Yeah, we talk about them at arm's length. That was something we were we were not interested in doing in this series. So we brought in a, a host. You know, both of us are, are you know, we're pretty straight. Yep. So <laughs> we brought in uh, somebody uh, who is a close friend, a trusted friend from the LGBTQ plus community to be a part of all of the conversations we had. Yeah, and we had a lot of good conversations. We did. And so Kevin joined us and boy, did he bring a unique perspective. You know what I've, I have found? that when organizations start to think more inclusively, what they discover is that, that the broad spectrum of people expands their, their understanding of well, God's love, but also the capacity that their community has to love others. Yeah, and it doesn't mean you have to agree with everything. Exactly. And you know what? This isn't really our point. You know, we're really not actually out to attack the church here or any organization for that matter. But we really are intending to challenge people to think differently about how they see themselves and how they see people outside. And so we brought in a whole host of different kinds of people, didn't we? Yeah, it's such a range. And it's really about getting curious about different topics, like with ex-pastors and people who are trying to like work together with the church and create more inclusive environments. Yeah. And some actual pastors. Right. Still pastoring <laughs> pastors. <laughs> and then all these people from the LGBTQ plus community. Yeah. And oh man, I, honestly, that was my favorite part. Me too. Was hearing people's stories. And we even took this series on the road and went to Lethbridge to hear some students kind of talk about their own story. My own child's in it. Mm -hmm. I love that, Erica. It was, a, it was a real gift to the conversation as well. So, hey, I hope that whether this changes your mind or actually just challenges you to think differently about your faith, about your perspective on the world, and even towards the LGBTQ plus community, I hope that this is opening up your mind. Hey, uh, we're glad that you decided to join us every Tuesday for the next many Tuesdays in a row. Uh, Unpacked is going to be bringing you shoulder to shoulder. So enjoy. Oh, Tara. Yeah. One of the things that I have found is so interesting and kind of goes unseen. Mm -hmm. in this whole topic of inclusion and belonging is those who are outside or family members of somebody from the LGBTQ plus community. Yeah, we don't hear those voices a lot. We don't. And you know what? It can be really difficult uh, as a parent even mm -hmm. to hear some of the comments and things that get said about folks in the LGBTQ plus community knowing I love one, I'm a parent of one. And that's a struggle in itself within the context of religious communities, but also in the context of just our community communities. In other words, we don't always know what people are going through when we're talking and sharing. Yeah. And it can be something you celebrate, but it's different when the world isn't always celebrating that with you. That's exactly right. Today we have uh, Diane on and uh, Diane Morton is, lives in Medicine Hat, Alberta. And she's going to tell her story of her trans child mm -hmm. and um, what that was like and how she experienced that. And she just, she was great storyteller. I thought she did a great job. And I was so appreciative of her, of her openness yeah. to share this. And I do know that there are, there are family members who are listening to this series. And I'm grateful for that. And I do hope that this is encouraging to you that, that as you go through your part of this story, that you, uh, you know, you're not alone. Yeah. 
And her willingness to learn and grow yeah. was really present. Yep. And yeah, reach out to us. We, we don't we don't want people to be alone. Yeah. I don't think that works. So uh, we'd love to hear from you as well. So here she is, Diane. Hi. Hi. Oh, you guys, I think we're going to have a fun conversation today. Yeah. Yeah. We have Diane Morton on uh, the call with us. And Diane hails from Medicine Hat, Alberta. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and a good friend of yours, Kevin. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. We've been friends for, I want to say, I was thinking about that this morning. It's got to be over six years. Right, Diane? Oh, at least. Yeah. Six or seven years for sure. That's that is so great, and we're we're gonna hear a little bit of your story and kind of, kind of what's gone on in your story and some of the things you've learned as well as we're kind of a part of you know this is a part of a of a series that we're doing um, about LGBTQ plus inclusion mm-hmm. and and belonging and and uh, so we're we're glad that you you're taking the time out to share a little not only the time but but the. The emotional energy even that is required to tell your story is is also a, a commitment to us. So we're really grateful for that. So let's just start with some easy stuff. Like, who are you? And like we said, Medicine Hat, are you in the city of Medicine Hat? Are you farmers? Are you just give us a little bit of the facts of kind of, of who you are? Okay. I grew up in Medicine Hat. I think we moved here when I was two or three. So it's all I really remember, but I've always lived in the city and um, I met my husband here. He's a retired police officer. I'm a retired teacher. Murray is uh, just a a wonderful man. Um, We were married when we were 25 years old. And because of the age we were, and I had always wanted to have children, And as it turned out, I couldn't. So we were very lucky and very blessed to be able to adopt uh, two children, a boy and a girl. I love that. Hmm. Well, here's our first connection. (laughs) Yeah. So both Tara and I are adoptive parents. Oh, really? Yeah. She has a a four-year-old and he was born in South Africa. And then I have... Oh, wow. I have... Four kids, two biological and two adopted from Ethiopia. Well, how cool. That yeah. is awesome. Yeah. How about you, Kevin? <laughs> no, but I think this is a good opportunity for me to jump in and explain how I know Diane. Yeah, tell us. So Diane uh, has a nephew and his name is Blake. And Blake and his partner or his husband, Darcy, were really good friends of my partner, my late partner, Claude. And so I met Blake and Darcy at a Hand Hills rodeo back in 2008. So even before I moved to Alberta. And then I'm thinking Diana and I, we probably met at one of the bull sales, right? Yeah. And I knew instantly, actually, not just you, you and Marie. It's like, like I, we just fell in love with you. I remember Joelle was like, I just love her. And she's such a classy lady. And just, <laughs> we had such a good time with you guys at, at the bull sale. And then that became an annual thing. Every year we'd go down. And yeah, we just loved you guys and just felt like we got adopted by you and Marie right away. Oh, that touches my heart. And we love you too, so much. So Tara, uh, Blake and Darcy are basically cowboys. Oh, like real life ones? Like real life cowboys. <laughs> <laughs> They're ranchers. They're ranchers. Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah. And what happens is they go to um, cattle shows because they have purebred cattle, Angus. And so when that happens, my husband Murray and I go to the ranch and he takes care of it while they're gone. So I get a little bit of a taste of the ranching life, but I'm very much a city girl. <laughs> and, but it's always fun when we go out there. I, I really enjoy it. I love it. So you were a teacher, elementary, high school, like what did you teach? Um, I taught, well, for the first 25 years, I taught special needs students. Oh. And when I uh, went to university, University of Lethbridge, I 
took a degree that was special education. And now all of the terms and the labels, et cetera, et cetera, have changed. I don't know that they even call it that anymore. But I taught everything from kids, say, with Down syndrome and severe autism, that kind of area um, where they're, they were lower functioning intellectually, to kids with just in a learning assistance class in a regular school or kids with severe learning disabilities, that kind of thing. And I did that for 25 years. And then the last eight years that I taught, it was a transition program between kindergarten and grade one. So it was kids who've gone through kindergarten and were not ready for the regular grade one program. And so it was a, a year to try and bring their skill levels and their emotional maturity up to a certain point where they would be really successful in school rather than um, go into grade one struggling and continue to struggle all, all the, way the way through. Mm-hmm. So that's what I did the last eight years. Cool. So it's like an early intervention thing that you were you were essentially yes, doing yeah. for the last part. Um, tell us a little bit what, what it was like. What was little Diane like? Oh, very much a rule follower. <laughs> the, the medicine hat, it's a not a big city and it has very much small town attitudes i don't think that i really saw people from other backgrounds until i was in my late teens so there was not a lot of racial diversity in the city or of course there's ethnic diversity but but it was it was just a sort of a middle class, kind of a typical thing growing up. And I didn't even meet someone that I, or knowingly meet someone who was uh, part of the LGBTQ plus community until I was in my third year of university. Hmm. And even when I met this young man, and he was in one of my classes, he was great fun nice looking. I just really enjoyed being around him. And he came over one evening and had tea and he French braided my hair. And I was, I told a friend, a mutual friend, I had a little bit of a crush on him. And she goes, don't you know, he's gay. I was clueless. So I guess I had a pretty sheltered upbringing in that respect. But I was also taught to be Uh, kind and accepting of people. And so, you know, and that's always the kind of person that I have tried to be, even uh, intellectually, because I started volunteering at a special needs school with high level needs kids when I was 12. And that, that shaped my life. And that's how I knew I wanted to be a special education teacher. So even people who who teased and bullied and, you know, taunted kids who were, I mean, that's, they were born with these disabilities. I, I hate calling it that, but you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, I just always hated any people being mean or un, not accepting others. That's always really bothered. So since, since you were 12, yeah. you've been making space for people who, we're not like you. Is, is that fair to say? Yeah, I never thought of it that way. But yes, that's true. What led you to volunteer at 12? It was a youth group that would go into um, the school after hours and plan activities for the kids. So we'd plan craft nights and dances and just d- games nights and I would go to Special Olympics events with them and uh, they had a special camp and I'd go out and help. Uh, Just a friend and I started going and we really enjoyed it. Love it. Yeah. So let's move your story ahead. So you end up adopting. You have a couple of kids. They, how old are they now? Maybe that's the best way of asking. Like, so Brooklyn's thirty-one and Jenna is twenty-eight. Okay. Hey, I I have a question because I know I'm going to pay for this later with Murray. But how did you and Murray meet? <laughs> oh, that's a story. We had a 
Medicine Hat's centennial, their 100th anniversary. There was a special celebration and assembly at school, and we were all supposed to dress up, sort of, you know, pioneer-like, that kind of thing. And myself and two other ladies at the school decided to dress as saloon girls. (laughs) (laughs) One of the ladies that also dressed up uh, had a husband who was a police officer, and he dared us to come to the police station wearing our saloon girl outfits after school. So they had a, uh, at that time in the police station, they had a lounge. They called it Cell 13. And I remember walking in there with my fishnet stockings and velvet dress and this plume in my hair. And just uh, my cheeks just were so red. And I finally dragged my eyes up and looked ahead. And here this guy was sitting there just grinning at me. And that was Murray. And that's, uh, that's how we met. Well, and, and here you said you weren't you weren't feisty. <laughs> that, that takes some courage to, to do that. <laughs> it was just fun. So did he end up then, so he was a police officer in the Medicine Hat Police Department then? He wasn't RC? Yes. Okay, that is really cool. <laughs> so part of why we wanted to have you on is because you one of, one of your daughters is a part of the LGBTQ plus uh, community. Can you tell us a little bit as we as we kind of get to that point of the story, can you tell us a little bit about how you uh, felt about even the LGBTQ plus community in Medicine Hat, or culturally speaking, I can assume that it, it probably not not an overly inclusive community from years past. How did you get raised in terms of your understanding of the LGBTQ plus community? I really had very little sense or understanding. It was nothing that my parents had ever talked to me about, and it was nothing that I had ever encountered. So, I mean, of course, you learn about it and you know about it, but my knowledge was very, very limited. And it wasn't until we got to, well, Blake, as our nephew, came out to me, And we got to know him and his husband so much better. And through them, we met so many wonderful friends. And they taught us so much. And I think that's where my real learning started, was was just through these very good friends. They've been such a blessing in our lives. And when well, uh, what I always thought was our son, uh, finally came out. I I honestly believe knowing all of those friends really, really helped. Uh, It it helped me to be, obviously, I was open and had loved so many people who were part of the LGBTQ plus community. And and it you know, accepted them, but but far more. I really loved them and couldn't wait to to spend time and be with them because they were just such great people. It helped prepare me for things later in life that that were just a shock because uh, our our son growing up, we had no clue, no indication of what was coming. It wasn't until. Uh, I'll say he, just to make it clearer, until he came out to us at age 28. And all he could say, he said to Marie and I, I have something I want to tell you, mom and dad, but I'm not ready to do so. And then a few weeks later, it was, he was crying and saying, well, I'm, I'm not exactly straight. And couldn't tell us anymore. He was too upset and crying. And so I, um, we just left it at that. We, and we knew he'd tell us when he was ready. But we had made the assumption, Murray and I made the assumption that he was gay. 
And we're going, well, why is he finding this so difficult to tell us? He knows that we love so many, like all of the gay people in our life. Like, but I, I never thought anything of it. Anyway, the way that um, Brooklyn actually came out was she gave me a book to read. And in that book, she had written a letter and she tucked it in the front and she said, Mom, I want you to read this, just you at this time. I want you to read the letter first and then read the book. And in the letter, she was telling me that although this book is fictional, the character the main character, I, I feel so much like this person because um, it, it was just many of the the emotions that she was going through were explained through the story. So the book is called If I Was Your Girl. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. No. No, I haven't. Okay. It's by Meredith Russo, and she herself is transgender woman. and so. It's loosely based on some of her experiences, not all. But, you know, the thing was, when I saw the book, If I Was Your Girl, I still didn't twig. But a few pages into the book, I'm going, oh, my gosh. That this, this is the message. Our son is telling me that he's a transgender female. And I was blown away. I, I, I had... No inkling, no, um, I, I, that's just not what I expected. Had, had she said I, that she's gay, that, that's kind of what we were thinking. And that wasn't the truth at all. So my first reaction was really just that, that shock. Like I was like, wow. And then it was, Oh my gosh, Brooklyn is six foot two. She's broad shouldered. And I was just thinking this is going to be really hard for her. This is going to complicate her life so much. And then my next thought was just sort of fear that people would be unkind or even try and and hurt her um i i just was fearful for her so i mean it was a whole mix of emotions i never felt like oh this is a terrible thing anything like that nothing but it was just real worry for her how is she going to get through this how will you know will people accept her that kind of thing as I mentioned earlier, she just wanted me to read that book at first. And then a few days later, I was speaking with her and I said, well, are you ready to share with dad? And she said, well, will you tell him first? And I said, yeah, I, I can do that. So I did. And a few days later, because we had been out camping at the time, just Marie and I, a few days later, we got together and Brooklyn had shared with me that she was fearful that her dad would be so disappointed in losing a son. Yeah. Mm. And Murray has always been uh, Brooklyn's hero, always will be. That's just, they have that, a really special relationship. But, but she was fearful that he would be so disappointed. And what Murray said, I love you. I love the person you are. I love the values you have, what you stand for. I love you. It doesn't matter if I have a son or another daughter. I love you. And it was just a very powerful moment. It was, um, yeah, I mean, of course we all <laughs> you yeah. made me cry yeah. just now. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and and Brooklyn shared with me later, you know, that she was fear. She knew we loved her, right? She knew that, but she was afraid we we loved the old her, the the person that 
we knew the person that we brought her up to be and that um, she was afraid that we wouldn't have the same feelings for the person she wanted to be. But that she didn't need to worry about that. Thank, thank you for sharing that part of the story. And we'll, we'll talk more about it. But it's funny, uh, not funny, haha, but it's interesting that um, like even as you were just describing how you, you experienced it, that's almost exactly how I, I experienced my own daughter coming out to me as pansexual that, that, I, I, that I actually don't, I do not recall disappointment being one of the emotions that I had, but, but for sure for me, fear was, and, and I think it was fear that, that in, in my experience and the relationships that I've had and, and, and those who, who, who have come out in whatever, like those who have come out from the LGBTQ plus community often have described that to me as, as very, very difficult and that their life there was parts of their life that were really hard and confusing and like all of the things probably that go with that. Um, and even one of the episodes that we're doing is talking to Kevin and talking to Joelle and talking to some other individuals who are sharing their story. And there's, there's, there's challenges there. We, we, we all think, we all know we, when we have kids, our kids are going to have challenges. We, we know that like if you're a parent and you don't, you haven't considered that your kids are going to have a hard time. <laughs> might be time to consider that as an option. But for some reason, for me, it really did feel that way. It, it was not a disappointment. It was not an embarrassment or any of those kinds of feelings for me. But it was a fear that life was going to be harder in some way for her. You know, in hearing your story, and I really do think it's important that parents that are listening to these this episode hear that all, all emotions are appropriate. Not all are appropriate to share but also that being able to name and, and identify that there is a fear for our children that are, we don't want our children to have pain. Yeah, exactly. Or, or um, be discriminated against or uh, looked down upon all of those things. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I, I got another question for you for fear of putting too many words in Brooklyn's mouth here. It's like, would you say there was a sense of that? Like, how do I manage my parents' reaction to this? I think that she had uh, a pretty good idea that that we would be accepting. But she did mention, yes, they love the old me. Will they love the new me? Mm -hmm. So it was very important for us to reassure her about that. And she wanted to be sure that we weren't disappointed but that kind of thing. And we let her know, you know, right away that, no, we were proud of you and the courage that it took for you to do this. Because, oh my gosh, like, I, I just can't imagine because it, it's so life-changing for her, right? And and to to share that with somebody that's raised you, and also to say, well, I'm going to want you to call me me, and my chosen name is Brooklyn, not the name that you gave to me. That kind of thing, you know. Like she she talked about how I'll always love that name, and I'll always have a connection to that name, but. Um, this is this is who I've chosen to be. This is who I need to be. This is what I need to do for my own happiness in life. And uh, so she just wanted to be sure that we were okay with calling her Brooklyn rather than her given name. And I think she was more worried about telling family members than she was us maybe because we had she she knew uh so many of our friends through Blake and Darcy and and knew how much we loved them and so I th I think she was 
pretty sure that we'd be accepting, but she was more worried about what some of the other family members might think and if and how their accepting or not accepting would affect us. Yeah. No, I was just going to say, I love the fact that you use the word courage. And we've talked about that in, in a few of the podcasts because there's the courage needed to, to come out to your family and your friends. And then the second step is having the courage to actually live that life. And oh. so you, you wonder how your family is going to react. And then once that's done, you still need all this courage to actually be that person that you've just told everybody that you want to be or that you are. So I'm happy you use that word courage. It's so true. And I wonder, I wonder too, and Diane, you'd know better uh, than any of us here, what, what a challenge that is as well in that it's like, so you've used the word Brooklyn in this conversation. I would have no issue meeting Brooklyn and accepting Brooklyn for who, who she is and, and who, who is right in front of me, <laughs> right? How does the family, because it, because I think one of the challenges, and we've heard this from others, is that it's like, no, in in some ways, it's still the same person. And in some ways, there are these, the, the new realities of, of what they are living into, which which I actually would say would be more more their true self. But but family, and you can change friends, you can even change communities, and, and Brooklyn could do that. But it's very difficult. It's different with family because you still see family. So how how has that been for your family? Well, for me, at first it was difficult because Brooklyn lives a very long ways away from us. And her preference was to be able to tell people herself. You know, she wanted us there, but that's what she wanted to do was to be able to share her story in her words rather than have us do that for her. But when uh, people like my mom and my brother and sister-in-law, my sister-in-law is one of my very best friends for, for me to go for months without sharing with them, especially when they're asking, you know, very specific questions about, her and how she's doing and all of these things, that was hard. And I, I did want to share because it's almost like you you feel like you're lying in a way, for lack of a better word, because you're you're hiding something. And I wasn't ashamed, but I was just being um, honoring her wishes. So when she came home at Christmas, um, I asked her to share, and so she did. Shared with my brother and sister-in-law and, and her own sister. I mentioned Jenna before, like she hadn't told her. It was, it was a slow process of her um, sharing with others. It, it took time, and it was easy for her not to do that because she was so far away and is not home very often. So, but now um, I would say that I'm still cautious about uh, people that I share with, yet it's it's not because I'm ashamed or anything in any way. You know, I, I am protective of Brooklyn and I was trying to respect her wishes. But there are people, for example, um, that I worked with because she went to the same school that I taught at. Uh, people who loved her as and watched her grow up. And so I have shared with some of those people and, you know, like me, they're like, whoa, that's the last thing we would have expected. And then when I show some photos of what she looks like now, they're like, wow, because <laughs> she she's really beautiful. And when when you're six foot two and wearing those heels and oh she can strut around in heels better than I can let me tell you and <laughs> her ability to do her makeup and um she dresses beautifully all of those things like it's just uh people are really blown away when they see her photo and we have been so lucky so blessed 
that uh, everybody has been accepting. And uh, another person, Brooklyn, was really worried about was her grandma because her grandma's almost 85. And, you know, that generation, she, she, there was fear there in telling grandma. And that was the one person that she said to me, will you tell her first? And I said, sure. And that was another one that I just said, I, I really feel we need to tell her. What I'd forgotten was that my mom worked in the mental health uh, area for years and years. And so when I said to her, um, well, your grandson has been diagnosed with gender dysphoria, which is, and she hopped right in and she finished finished the sentence for me. She knew what it was. And right away, she started calling her she immediately. And she said, I just cannot imagine how hard this has been for her to hide her true self for all these years. I feel sad for her that, that she felt that she needed to hide that from us. And when I told Brooklyn, she just broke down in tears. She was so relieved. Mm-hmm. We, we have been very blessed in how our family and our friends have all been very accepting. Wow. Well, and maybe this, maybe this isn't the right, well, this probably, this is part of the conversation. I suppose we shouldn't be overly surprised that your mom was that way, since you definitely appear that way. Oh, thanks. This would be just like to go back to all the way back to, you know, to Blake. There, there is this part of me that, that goes, okay, so I think there's something to be said about like, who are the first people that a person of the LGBTQ plus community comes out to? And what is the posture of those people that makes them somehow safe enough to to practice telling? And and so I guess the reason why I say that is, you know, it wouldn't surprise me that your mom would be like would would be open and accepting like that because she's clearly taught you some things about that that have made you to be a safe person. And then even your line of work to be able to care for the marginalized and in, in uh, we don't talk very much about it, but it's like when we talk marginalized and we even talk inclusion and belonging and we, we, you know, we use that language and in our context, it's, it's language that talks about the LGBTQ plus community. That's how we're talking about it. But the handicapped, those who, those who have all kinds of neurodiversity, all of those kinds of the ethnic, all of these are marginalized groups. Exactly. And it does seem that, that there are people out there that have, a posture that is safer. So I don't, I, I'm kind of curious to know, like I know that I'm springing, this is a spring spring on you kind of a question, <laughs> but for you, you were a teacher. You were clearly, you've lived your life this way. What do you think, it, what makes you, and it's hard to talk about yourself in this way, but what makes you a safe person? Because you clearly are. So I don't think we have to argue about that. But what do you think is about Diane that that you've worked on to make yourself safe to others? I guess it's nothing that I've thought um, that I've dissected within myself, so to speak. But I have always thought that it is just really, really important to show everyone that they are valued and respected and that no one has the right to, to put others down uh, in specifically for things that uh, they can't help, you know, ways, things that they were born with, or maybe, uh, or even, you know, in high school, for example, uh, kids putting down others who weren't, as well dressed while they were from a different socioeconomic background. They, they did what they could. Like I have always been somebody that 
if if someone says things against someone like that, if if they try marginalizing them, I just feel no, that's wrong. And I've always wanted to be the person to stand up and say, I disagree. And, you know, think about it. Uh, think about what you're saying, how you make them, you could make them feel if, if they heard this, words can hurt. It is really important to be accepting. Everyone deserves to be respected and loved. But it really seems to me that you have modeled the ability to stand and be courageous. And it seems like not just Brooklyn, but a whole lot of children that you've cared for have, have been able to safely hide behind you and, and feel protected and safe while they figured some things out. And uh, I think that's one of the, one of the great gifts that we can give. Mm-hmm. I was going to ask you, did you go to Brooklyn when you had questions or how did you do some of the learning just because you had said uh, transgender was kind of a shock to you? Did you know a lot about that community already or were you able to reach out or how did you learn a little bit more? Was it mostly through her or did you find you went to other places like you mentioned a book she gave you? Were there other things? I, I did do some research because that's the kind of person I am and being an educator too, right? I, I do like to learn. So yes, I did some research. There were things that I, I asked her if there was resources that she knew of that she thought would be helpful. And even um, the book, If I Was Your Girl in the back, uh, there's mention of some other books that were written about uh, transgender uh, people. And I haven't read those books yet, but I, they're, they're on my, my list of books to order. But yes, uh, doing the research, I did ask Brooklyn questions. And I would love to talk to other transgender people as well. But there, I've watched a couple of podcasts, that kind of thing. Uh, so that, that, those were things that I did that I found helpful. Because it's so important to have good information rather than misinformation or to make assumptions. And there was uh, one thing that I read was things not to ask your transgender child, like, you know, privacy things, like sometimes people can overstep too. So that's basically it. Yeah, I just did a bit of research. I think you're you're right. Like, I actually think you just named a, bou- a boundary yeah. that I do think is, is really helpful. And I think, you know, as parents, sometimes we think we don't, well, we don't have any boundaries with our kids. We're allowed to just cross over the boundaries, but our kids are, are grownups. They're adults and they, they deserve the privacy that they choose to have and the boundaries that they choose to have. And so being careful, even with our own children, when we speak to them about what, what is helpful to them and what's what hinders them is is a huge deal. Um, I'm curious to know how long it took you to read that book. Did you just power through that? Yeah. And because Brooklyn, as I mentioned, we were out camping and she wanted me to read it first before going, talking to my husband about it or anything. So he would go to bed and I would read. And I am a relatively fast reader, and it, it's a very easy read. It only took me, I don't know, a, a couple of three nights math. But it is a book I, I would recommend, uh, especially um, for young transgender people who are, are struggling with uh, coming out and that kind of thing. And it's not all of it is like um, the author writes in there that there's some liberty she's taken. For example, uh, the character in the story had uh, surgery to to change uh, things at a relatively young age where maybe that wouldn't, I mean, that wouldn't happen in real life. You know, that kind of thing. I, I did learn a lot just even through reading this fictional story. Hmm. You had mentioned too, there was questions that you're not supposed to ask. Do you have some examples you could share, like what you shouldn't ask transgender people or your transgender t- child? Some of the questions include, um, you know, asking about specific, 
specific things sexually, right? Mm-hmm. And if they're willing to share that with you, then that's fine. But it's not something that you just ask. It's just like you wouldn't ask uh, a, a friend, even though you know them well, about specific sexual acts or whatever. Now, in Brooklyn's case, she did tell me she likes girls. And so that's fine. So she considers herself a, a lesbian, and that's great. But it's she volunteered that. And it's, yeah, it's just overstepping a boundary to be pushing for a specific private personal information. I was going to add to like, I have heard um, transgender people say that it's like, don't ask them about what surgeries they've had or what surgeries they would like to have or, you know, the changes to their own body. Like that's an inappropriate question that you wouldn't also ask a straight person. Yeah, I, I actually Googled that question when I was in Haiti last week because I had the opportunity to have a, a discussion with a transgender person in Haiti. And of course, I wanted to make sure I wasn't going to ask questions that she was uncomfortable answering. And so I actually Googled it and they gave me like five of those questions. And I think you guys have, have answered all of them. Um, one of the big ones was obviously like, so now that you're transgender, are you attracted to boys or girls or anything about sexes? If it's not offered up by them, then you should not bring it up. Yeah. Yeah. I think that is helpful. Um, uh, Diane, I got a couple, a couple more questions that are kind of, and then we're good. And then we have a couple of roundup, like, wrap up kind of questions that we wanted to ask. But so I look at you, you're from Medicine Hat, Alberta. We're, we're in one of the most conservative provinces. I think that's safe to say in, in Canada to meet you in the grocery store, or even to know you for years or be in, I'm not sure what community groups you're a part of or the school that you're a part of or all of those kinds of things. Um, but I'm assuming you're involved in your community and you're out and about every once in a while doing things. I think this is one of the real challenges for parents and I've experienced it myself. And so I just, I'm just going to ask it. How do you feel? What does it make you feel like when somebody makes an assumption about what, what Diane believes around LGBTQ plus, the LGBTQ plus community, uh, 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 an assumption about gay straight alliances in schools, which are topics that get talked about a lot in Alberta. And there is a general assumption that you're just talking to some parents with some kids and their kids are straight and they agree with you. How do you respond when somebody makes a suggestion that's homophobic or that is um, extremely judgmental? So I think part of the measure of, of a person and their beliefs is to stand up for whoever's being marginalized when when they're not around. So I think it's important to speak out. And I'm not afraid to say, hey, you may not know this, but we have, uh, like, uh, someone I love is is transgender. And it's one of my children. And so what I you know, the kinds of things you're saying, I find offensive. And I just want to give you some, some things to, to think about, not, not be, uh, not, not come at them in an aggressive way, not just to smooth it over and not say anything. Because I, if, if you are a true, if you're truly wanting to educate people and to help people and to help acceptance grow, then you need to speak up. And I've never been afraid to speak up. Yeah, yeah. I think that's one of those, we've used this language uh, in another episode called the tragic gap. And that there is, you know, we've used a lot of metaphors actually in this series, but one of the things, the metaphors that we've been using is this tragic gap, that there there are individuals who will always have a utopic, beautiful vision of what we could be, but also a realistic and rational understanding of where we're at currently, and that they will be willing to stand in the tragic gap in the middle. 
and 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 then in in standing in the tragic gap in the middle you do two things a couple of things i guess is one you 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 carefully and cautiously tell the truth so that others can hear the truth and in your case right it's part of that is just even identifying your own child's story and your story but also i think you said it you, you said any marginalized and i think it appears to me you've probably been doing this your whole life of <laughs> standing in the middle and then the other the other hard part about being people who stand in the tragic gap is that you also end up being the kind of person who ends up hearing the stories and they're not all great yeah so true and and even i get one thing i i taught all of the students uh, in my classes was to be careful of how you treat people and the things that you say to them. It doesn't even have to be somebody who's being marginalized. So you treat people well, because you never know when you will meet that person in your life again, and they will remember how you made them feel. You want them to remember you in a good way. I love that. What, what's something that you wish people knew about you or about the LGBTQ plus community? People are people. Everyone has the same kinds of, of fears and dreams and hopes. It's important to respect that. Every, everyone has the right to be respected and loved. And it's not right for any of us to put others down or think less of them because they are different in some way than you are. I have a daughter who's transgender. I'm proud of her. I, and I want people to know that I'm proud of her. The bottom line is, though, that she's a person. She's a human being. And no one has the right to be hurtful and disrespectful just because she's different than you are. As we wrap up, one of the, you know, the reason that you're on here is because you're representing this, the parents. And parents, there's a whole gamut of different kinds of parents and different kinds of responses and different kinds of ways of accepting um, the, our, our children's true identities. And some parents, some parents, I think, are fortunate enough that they didn't make a mistake publicly in front of their child. <laughs> and there will be who those who are listening who realize that their response or their reaction to was hurtful. And they're trying to work through that. What would you want parents to know or to hear when coming to discover and understand maybe their an, an identity of their child that, or a part of their child that they never knew before and just like you said like you were you didn't see it coming so what do you want parents to know about that just that it's important to listen and listen some more and keep listening and to let to, acceptance is key uh you have to be even careful of your body language and the the tone of your voice and the things that you're saying, because well, what your child is trying to tell you is so very difficult for them. They can shut down very easily. So, so just be, show that acceptance, reflect back what they're saying to you. If, if you're not understanding and also uh, in Brooklyn's case, she this isn't something I feel that we have to worry about with her. But for so many uh, transgender or, uh, you know, whatever person in the LGBTQ plus community, there are mental health issues, right? So you need to check on that mental health and make sure they're okay. And if you fear they're struggling, don't just let it slide. Go talk to them. Um, if they need help, help them find uh, that help because there's far too many that, you know, end up uh, self-medicating, you know, through drugs or alcohol or self-harm, right? 
Sometimes there can be fluctuations too. Uh, This is something Brooklyn explained to me. Fluctuations when they're deciding, they're trying to decide their identity. And, And it's not like there has to be a label, but Brooklyn was saying, well, she was wondering, well, am I more you know, pansexual, am I this, am I that? And and just to be um, patient and, and know that there there may be fluctuations. It's not like they're being flaky in any way, or, or that's a poor choice of words, but that's what came to my mind. Be accepting of the process because there is a process. Yeah. And to let them know that they are loved and accepted all the way through that process. And we should be very careful about how we listen as they try to figure that out. And we should recognize that, that yeah, that might feel disorienting for us too a little. And that's our work to do, not theirs. Mm-hmm. Good points. I'm glad you brought that up. Anyways, I, I think all I'm trying to get at is that it's like being sensitive to the fact that all of us are figuring out our identities and we're all experiencing growth and transformation. And we need the flexibility to be able to to try something you know not just try something on but to live into something for a bit and like just like you said recognizing that it's like no this this may change mm-hmm. you know and we've heard that from so many of the guests that have been on um and and I think that's one of the important things to think about I I have one thing I'd like Diane to share last year um in the fall we were in medicine hat and we had dinner with you. We hadn't seen you in a long time, I think probably two years before that. And that's when you actually shared the story, Brooklyn's story with us. And I remember a couple of years before that, when I did my podcast with with Evan and Tara, my story, I sent it to you. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Well, Kevin sent me the podcast he did. And it was just after Brooklyn had come out to me and I'm going, wow, like, is this um, almost like serendipity? Because there's somebody you were talking about your struggles and what you went through. And here there's somebody that I love who is struggling and trying to uh, come out. And I just said, I'm so glad that you sent this to me, Kevin, because I at the time you didn't know about Brooklyn, but I said, I want to be able to share this with her. And uh, yeah, so that, that was a very valuable thing. And I, I, I do, I thank you for that. And Evan, you were part of that too. And I'm just really glad that all of you have the, the courage to do what you're doing and help to educate others because education is key it really is it's the key to acceptance and the the key to making our world uh, a more respectful and happier and richer place yeah i just i just want to to thank you for what you're doing your part the part you're playing not only the marginalized individuals but the others and others who may not know uh, anyone in the LGBTQ plus community, just to help them understand. Because it's it, when people don't understand, they f- have fear. And out of that fear can grow um, well, all kinds of things, prejudice and uh, even hatred. So educating others is so important. This has been an absolute delight to have this conversation and to hear you share a little bit of your story, Diane. And I, I'm grateful for it. I'm grateful that for the hour and some that you've given us, but but you've shared with us so much more of your soul story. And soul stories are the kinds of stories that change people. They change us. So I'm I'm grateful for your your willingness to share it and transparency in, in sharing it. And I hope you I hope when this episode comes out, you can proudly, you can proudly give it to Brooklyn and and the rest of your family, mm-hmm. and uh, and that they know that we love them and uh, and uh, we're we're on your team. Uh, thanks, and and I appreciate you asking um, me to be on this. I, I was honored that you, 
that you did. Yeah, it was great. It was great to meet you, and yeah, maybe someday in real life. Yeah, for, forever down in I the would hat. Love that. <laughs> yes, that would be fabulous. It really would. Okay. Okay. Right. Well, thank you. Yeah. Nice Bye. to meet you. Bye. Bye. Hey, thanks for joining us. If this episode or the podcast has been helpful to you in any way, it would mean so much to us if you would take just 30 seconds to do one or all of these three things. First, follow or subscribe to the Unpacked podcast. This helps you never miss an episode and it goes right to your device. And it helps us so more people can find it too. To do this, head to the show page on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Then just look for the follow or the plus sign and click it. It's so important to us and it would mean so much. And hey, while you're there, if you'd be willing to give us a review, preferably five star, and share an episode with a friend that you found helpful, we would be so grateful. We are so, so grateful for this little online community. And if you're looking for more ways to support or exclusive content, you can head to our Patreon account and you can find that in the link in our bio. Again, thanks for listening.